love Got having it. friends on the show. Friends on the show are, it's great to have new people on the show. Don't get me wrong. It's great to interview authors and amazing human beings. And I'm so privileged to do so, but it's really, really fun just to have friends on the show. Oh, I agree. Like I was talking to my friend yesterday about technology, right? We we're talking about the aspect of community and, you know, leaning into the aspects of living the way we've always lived as primal human beings. And then we we're talking about technology and it's like we can adopt the essence of technology by integrating it in a healthy aspect. But mm -hmm. I can't remember a time I can and I can't like connecting with my friends across the globe has been such a monumental piece to the evolution of who I am, you know? So bringing in technology and connection through these domains has been massive to be able to continue walking the path whilst also maintaining a level of groundedness, you know? Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. I think a lot of times when we think of technology, we're so quick to, to judge it and dismiss it as a, as a thing that's destroying the world as AI takes over and all of these things and can, how connected can you really be when you're on a screen? Like, what can that, can that compare? Is that something that we could, we could really just rely on. And I think on some level, we always, we're always going to need human connection. That's incredibly important for mm -hmm. our bodies to keep it at bay and so many levels, but it, it is really special. And I think, you know, technology has its space. And I think, when you're able to access it and use the, those tools for good, like exactly what you're doing, mm -hmm. it should be it should be applauded. Like I think it should be utilized as a tool. It, it's better to have something than nothing. It's better to be able to access information and people on the other side of the world than than have nothing. I mean, if it's if it's you have to be there in person or you don't get to go at all, I would rather have this. I would rather have this with you, even though you're on the other side of the world, it's a completely different day. You're in the future. And but we get to, we get to do great things when we connect with others. It's, it's so special. So I'm good with this because I feel like the other thing is, it's like, if you know how to connect with people, you know how to connect with people. It doesn't, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if you're with them or with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just as, just as, um, you know, rewarding and, and, satiating to just be able to jump on a phone call a zoom call a podcast and chill and and hang out with your buddies on whether you're on the same path or not just being able to sit and connect digitally yeah. you know it, it the, as you said the essence of connecting as a community we're never gonna hey humans i know you've all been seeing me drink hvmn's ketone iq lately this is a game changer jet fuel in a bottle I use Ketone IQ for everything in my life, whether it's running, cycling, podcasting, or just the extra boost that my brain needs. I won't lie, it helps push me to the next level in all things. I love Ketone IQ and what HVMN stands for. Go grab some shots today at HVMN.com and use the code BRASS20 and save. We're never going to avoid the fact, or we're never going to avoid how much alignment that brings to us as human beings. <laughs> But, um, you know, in, in substitute of being able to fly every single day <laughs> or, or drive copious amounts of hours to connect, like this, this definitely, definitely hits the spot. Yeah, for sure. There is, um, there's something special that happens when you start involving yourself in the world in a different way, you start making friends all over the place. And then all of a sudden the globe starts to shrink and it starts to mm -hmm. feel really, really small because you're like. I know somewhere I could go in Australia and stay. 
I know somewhere I could go in New Zealand and stay. I know somewhere I could mm -hmm. go and like, that's a really, <laughs> really profound, beautiful feeling. And that community itself right there is so wonderful. But that's why I was so interested in you the first time we met. That's that you know, you have so much going on. You've always been the person I've looked to when it comes to like, you know, if I'm going to go do something really, really difficult, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. Like who does it better than Will? Will just like jumps out and it's like, I'm going to run across Australia. It's going to be ridiculous, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it on the side. I'm going to have four kids. I'm going to bring them along with me. I'm just, I'm just going to do it. And you made it seem easy. It looked painful, but you made it seem easy. You didn't complain. You honored the process. You honored the pain. You honored everything that you were going to do with these runs. And it's really special. I wanted to talk to you about it before I did. I got the before. I want the after. So tell me everything. Tell me what were you feeling the night before? Like, did you sleep? Because I feel like the start <laughs> of something like that, like it's you're right there. And it's like, wow, that's you're going to be uh, in pain a long time after today. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm thinking about doing it again as well. Um, I go back. <laughs> that's why we resonate. I know. Um, yeah, but we got to, we got to connect. I was, I was on my way over. I remember I was on my way over and we pulled into this roadhouse and I was sitting in the caravan. It was like torrential rain outside. I remember having those. It's like um, these initial feelings of like, being overwhelmed for the magnitude of what this journey was going to be and like when I got to talk to you and a few other people it was like oh shit this thing's fucking this thing's about to, to happen you know and <laughs> I'd spent three years preparing for it physically mentally spiritually I'd spent three years really connecting to my why the purpose as to why I was doing it and the night before I slept maybe an hour, hour and a half. Like I was so excited, so jittery. Um, we were still co-sleeping as well at the time. And we're still co-sleeping. Our two-year-old doesn't want to leave the bed. But at the same time, I was just like so present with everything, you know, as excited as I was to get up, put my shoes on, get my vest ready, get my radio ready, all the things. I was in the moment of being like, okay, here we are. We're here in Margaret River, Western Australia, we're in our caravan. Tomorrow I start running an ultra marathon a day for 81 days. And my family are here, my children are here, my mate is here, everything's prepped, we're ready to go. Holy shit, like other human beings are sacrificing a part of their life to be a part of this thing. And even the ones that weren't there physically, my tribe across the globe were like tuning in and just sending so much love and positivity and, and energy. And I could feel that as well. So I felt very empowered and motivated by the thought of, you know, whether I do or I don't, I've already, I've already succeeded. You know, I've already achieved the thing that I wanted to achieve. And the morning I got up, um, the first morning I got up to do that first ultra, we had a few people there. Um, I just done a news interview the day before, and we were talking about mental health. We we're talking about my journey and I remember just going back through the process of what got me to that position, you know, three years of preparing physically, um, is tough. It's challenging. You know, I hadn't run, I'd run one ultra prior to that on a beach. And it was just a silly, like I woke up one day and said to Cass, my wife, I was like, Hey, we lived on this beach, 90 mile beach. I was like, Hey, I'm going to go run the 90 mile beach next week. And she's like, what 
what do you mean? <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm going to go run this beach and I'm going to do it in under 24 hours, try break a record, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, you haven't even trained. I was lifting barbells at that time, like doing CrossFit. And, you know, I, w- I wasn't really prepped for running. And I went and done this run on the beach. I got about 70, 68, I think it was 68 to 70 K in. And I went and took a piss on the beach and it was just like Coke coming out of me. And I, I remember ringing Casco, Hey, you got to come get me. She's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, nah, I think I'm, I think my kidneys are breaking down, you know? And so I got in the car and she's like, Oh, you stink. And it's just like that heavy smell of ammonia. And, um, I remember being in the bath. It was, it was like a pure Goggins moment. I was just in the bath and I was just like, Oh my God, this is fucking horrible. Like I feel broken. I feel all the things. And it was in that space. I was like, okay, preparation's key. I need to find myself a coach. I need to find myself a practice and I need to find myself some, uh, some balance in my life if I'm going to do this, this run. And so when I found myself a coach, And he was this crazy little Italian guy, absolutely beautiful man, world record holder as well. And he said to me in the meeting, hey, I don't don't take on athletes. I've got four on my portfolio right now that I'm coaching. And the only athletes I take are crazy as fuck. You need to be out of your mind. I'm like, cool. I I think I fit that bill. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, okay, so what are you going to do? I said, running across Australia, Western coast to Eastern coast. I'm going to do three. 70 kilometer runs a week and he's like that's not crazy and i'm like oh you tell me what's crazy and i'll do it he's like really i said yeah he's like okay marathon a day i'm like cool i can do that and it ended up being like 110 days of marathon running which in the moment with excitement you can compartmentalize and be like yeah i can do that for sure until you're actually doing it and then it's a different thing and after, so I, I got the, I got the coach. We decided it was a marathon a day and we started training for that. And the program itself started real slow. It was like, you know, 30 to 50 K a week of running. There was a, there's different, um, different volume, different pace, um, different tactics. Like there was hills, there's sprints, there's intervals, there's all the things. And then gradually we would build into these blocks and I would build this volume over a greater period of time, um, which I ended up running. You know, the final block was somewhere between 100 to 250K a week, my final block, before I started to come down and prep for the actual run. And um, after the, no, it was before, it was before Texas. It was when I first met um, Nima in, in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. I, was, I, was at the, I was at the course with Casper and I'm sitting there. It was like a day out from finishing and Cass was like, Hey, Will, are you coming back to the December gathering? And I'm like, bro, I'm going to, I'm going to still be running. And he's like, Oh yeah. I said, what date is it? And he's, he's like, oh, December 18th or whatever it was or 7th or something. I'm like, okay, cool. So I go away, I grab a tea and I'm walking back and I'm like, if I run further, ah. I can like shorten my days and I can be back here. And so I do the math real quick and I run back to Casper. I'm like, I'm going to be here. He's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to come back to the gathering. Cause I wanted to finish my studies. Like I wanted to finish my studies with, with nervous system regulation, um, psilocybin and, and it was, it really meant a lot to me. Cause I was part of the, of the experiment, which was the run. 
And I go back to him, like, I'm going to be here. He's like, how so? I said, I'm going to run further. He's like, run further. Like, there's only a certain amount of distance from west to east. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm going to run further a day. I'm going to run an ultra marathon a day. And he's like, if anyone's going to do it, bro, it's you. So that was how that was how the, the run kind of took shape from there. And I remember getting on the phone. I was sitting at the airport at Amsterdam. And then I, I rang Luca, my coach. I'm like, hey, man, I'm shifting. I'm shifting the, the, the distance for the run. And he's like, okay, what is it? And I said, 56 to 60 a day. He's like, that's crazy. Okay, let's let's rejig the program. Let's look at what that looks like. And we started training towards that. Now, the physical aspect was probably the simplest, like leading into the run, because one, I'd I created a support network and someone that could say, Hey, we'll run this per day. Cool. I can do that. It's a program, you know, show up, get the work done. What was more difficult and a little bit more complex, which is where the experiment of the run took shape was the mental and spiritual side of who I was and what I was doing. Now, prior to the run, I was medically, medically discharged from the military in 2017. And my medical conditions were at a point where if I didn't seek medical intervention, uh, I was going to deteriorate really, really quick. And especially so like 35, you are going to be in a wheelchair. You know, my body was riddled with osteo-rheumatoid arthritis. I had tears in a lot of the major muscles, the major moving muscles, um, delamination of specific, you know, posterior um, tissue. And, you know, my mental game was, you know, I was, I was struggling with a lot of mental health issues at the time. And brought to you by Mindful Meds. You guys have been seeing me take Mindful Meds for a little while now. Mindful Meds is a premium supplement company dedicated to supplying humans with the tools to improve their mental health, clarity, and performance, all while supporting their growth along the way. Whether it's the Immunity Blend, Lion's Mane, Inspire, or Voyage, all of their products are clean, tested, consistent, and they've become a huge help in my life. I found Mindful Meds over a year ago now, and I've never looked back. Go check out their website, mindfulmeds.io, and use the code BRASS at checkout. And so... My theories at that point, specifically after working alongside Casper and a few other professionals um, in the breathwork space, my theory was if I can tap into a level of consciousness and identify where the blockages were in my physical body, where I'd experienced a traumatic scenario that had manifested in the physical form, and I could shift that with regulation of my nervous system and process the shit that hadn't been processed there is a there is a a good chance that my body will start to heal itself it's heal itself and come back online and so i decided i'd spend you know minimum two hours maximum three hours a day sitting in meditation going through breathwork practices um i would utilize psychedelics or plant medicines uh, at a microdose level and I would go into my story, you know, Will's story, what had happened, the events, the chapters, the detail, and start to process, ground, and cycle all of these things that had been, you know, sitting around, stinking up the place. After about a year and a half of doing this, like really disciplined in doing this, I started feeling in my body. 
okay, I started to feel really present in this physical form. My movement improved, my range of motion improved, my sleep improved, my sex drive improved, my presence as a father improved. And so I doubled down and, and would go twice a day. And I'd be sitting in meditation twice a day in nature connecting. And uh, I went back for reassessment and all of my conditions were starting to clear up, like most of them, if not all of them. So knowing that what I was doing was working, big surprise, um, I was like, okay, this is where I need some sort of structure to the experiment. How do we do that? And that's how the run come about, right? Push my body to the physical limits whilst also being able to practice these what I was hypothesizing and during training, um, you know, kind of jumping backwards in timelines, but during training, I was sitting in a psilocybin ceremony out in, out in the bush with some very close people. And I had passed out to a, like, I was experiencing like a big shift in my body. It was like the final purge which coincidentally was the final purge. And I laid back and lay down on the ground and I woke up and I'd had my foot in the fire, right? The campfire. Burnt my whole left foot, third, third degree burns across from the big toe down the side of the, like the, half, the top half of the foot, but down the side, down the side of the, um, the pinky. And when I woke up, I was like, shit, I've been bitten by a snake. And my, my people that were there were like, no, dude, you've, you've burned your foot. It's been in the fire. And so kind of like actions on get Will a cold, cold wrap, get him inside, put him on the lounge. And I was sitting there going through the process of what I'd been through in my meditation of just really regulating the amount of stress that was in my body, the inflammation that had just been caused and trying to manage and control that there was no pain until the following day after I'd slept because I'd just been in the process of being able to breathe into what had occurred, essentially communicating with my brain and be like, Hey, this has happened. Cool. But we can control this. My foot blew up, um, you know, blistered all the things I got infected and then went through the same process again, three hours a day, meditation, breath work, you know, I reduced the sugars and, and processed food that I was consuming at that point of time because I was eating a few more carbs while running um, at that point until I turned to keto. Um, and so I was reducing the amount of inflammation that food was giving me. Um, I cut out like toxic people in my life because the, the energetic hygiene or my spiritual hygiene was on a brink of collapsing because of the toxicity of some people. Cut all this out focused on my foot. It was supposed to be a six to eight month recovery. I was back running full marathons after six weeks oh, and wow. my foot had fully healed itself. So now I have all this anecdotal evidence to support my theories. And these were the things that were going through my head on day one of the run, you know, cause after 30, 40 K you start to get in your head. It starts to be like, Oh shit, we've got 80 more days of this. We've got terrain. We've got traffic, weather, all the things. I was just constantly reminding myself like, Hey man, you got this. Like you've just done all of the, all of the practices, all of the research. This is okay. You're present. You're here. And, um, I remember finishing day one of the run, sitting down straight into down regulation, just coming back into my body, focusing on the next day, 
the next day, the next day, visualizing, always visualizing ahead. I'd go to a point where I'd get on Google Maps. I'd see where we we're running, get a ground view or a street view. Okay, that's what the terrain looks like. Back into visualization, see that. And that would support the way that I was moving physically and recovering mentally. And, um, you know, after day one, it became it became real. Like it became really, really real. Like I had gone from essentially a clinically disabled man or veteran to now doing this thing where doctors and specialists said, you're going to be in a wheelchair, you know? So it was a massive process. It was a massive toll um, to be in the space of like healing every single day. As you know, that takes a lot of energy and, and more often than not integration needs that balance of doing the work and then not doing the work, doing the work and then not doing the work, but it was just three years of nonstop. And then, um, yeah, after the first day, I was like, Oh shit, this is real. <laughs> yeah. The first day would have been intimidating. I think that is such a wild, <laughs> it's a wild thing to go. I'm going to do this, but to step off and come off of the injuries that you had to come off of the mindset regrowth that you had to do. Like you had to really restart. You had to start from the very bottom, from a physical standpoint, a psychological standpoint. And then you had to, <laughs> you had to kind of do it because you mm -hmm. said you were going to do it. And you're the type mm -hmm. of person where their word is everything. So now you've signed yourself up for this thing and your family's participating. You've got tiny humans your humans aren't like adults and teenagers your humans are <laughs> tiny humans i mean there's so much complexity that went into doing this successfully and watching it from afar was a really profound thing because to see somebody putting themselves out there in a place that is i mean let's be honest it's australia it's hot as shit there's tons mm -hmm. of snakes that will eat you oh. i don't i don't agree with some of the animals you allow to exist over there um <laughs> I don't agree with some of the animals that exist in Texas, but I think I wouldn't want to run amongst them. I feel like that's a valid thing to say. So you took on a challenge in, in the truest sense and you seem to complete it. No problem. I mean, your mindset throughout it, you were very honest on social media. You were very open mm -hmm. about how you were feeling. That's something I, I really resonate with. And I'm glad that you did because not often do people put out the difficult times, the hard times, they only put out the highlight reel. And that's the thing that irks mm. me about social media. So when I see the opposite happening, there's so much to be learned there. The tools that come from that and the ways to heal that come from that are so, are so amazing. So talk to me a little bit about kind of going through this process. You're running. When did you start to have, or did you at any point start to have any self-doubt? Was there any moments where you're like, I don't know if I can do this anymore? when you, you know, your legs started to have some failure points, like what did that look like? So week, week two, I, I broke my foot. It was more of an overuse injury. Um, the roads here in Australia, the main roads from West to East are built on a terrain. It's really undulating. So the sealed roads are cambered and me running towards traffic, uh, it had this camber from left to right down. And so my hip was like, way higher my left hip was way higher than my right meaning that there was a lot more going through my right leg week two when i broke my foot um and my achilles had doubled in size both achilles had doubled in size and were both purple i didn't have a lot of flexion extension because they were so swollen and when i was sleeping at night time um 
you know, my foot would relax in bed and go to this um, flex position for the Achilles at least. Um, so when I woke up in the morning and I was ready to go, I'd pull it back to extension and I'd be creating more inflammation and tearing in the Achilles just from that movement. So before I even put my shoes on, you know, I was already experiencing a lot of pain through both Achilles just from going from sleep to awake. Um, I knew it was going to be challenging. I knew even with a broken foot, I was still going to be able to do it because I knew that the level of pain that I'd had in my left foot and how I managed that. So I knew I could do that. When it really started to impact me was the overuse injuries turned into imbalances throughout the body. And then my whole body started to create these compensatory like biomechanics. And I was just like, I'd be running and then, you know, I'd feel pain in my foot. And then all of a sudden I'd feel a twinge in my left knee or a twinge in my right shoulder or, or something to that degree. And then week three, week four, I broke my right foot. And then because of my right foot, I tore my right meniscus in, in my knee. That started to get challenging because I went from doing five to six hour days of running or 56 to 60 K a day to now 12 to 13 hours a day of walking. And I was walking an ultra marathon a day and it was hot. It was hot as fuck. And there are very, very big snakes in Australia as well. And it's, pretty intense being in the presence of just wildlife that will attack you and, and hurt you. Um, and then also the traffic as well, like uh, in Australia, across this road specifically, it's called the Nullarbor. Um, you've got road trains. They're like 50 meters in length and they just drive like maniacs. Um, for the most part, Australia's uh, uh, trucking or logistics system, there's not enough um, people to fill the roles of driving. So they bring exchange um, tradesmen from different countries and they train them up for two weeks and they put them in the seat and say drive. But all these guys are jacked up on speed and coke and all the things just to stay awake because they're doing like 10, 12 hour hauls. Um, so I was fighting a lot whilst also trying to maintain focus on building my body and re rehabilitating my body. After my right knee tore, I tore my left piriformis in my hip. So I was now carrying a broken right foot, torn right meniscus, and then a torn left piriformis. We're in a space in Australia where there was no, there was no communities, no towns. There was no anything, you know, it was pretty, pretty desolate. And so I didn't have the ability to go to physio, Cairo, or any of the things because we just left that. That's how I know, knew about my injuries. Um, so it was a risk to go, I'm going to keep going and I'm going to keep moving because the further I kept moving, the more I moved away from civilization and into nothing, knowing that my injuries could get worse or they could get better. And to me, there was no plan B. It was like, it's plan A, rehabilitate the body and keep moving. So it got difficult mentally to be able to go from a five to six hour day to a 12 to 13 hour day and then know that the light was going down by the time I got back to the caravan I was needing to get nutrition in or at least some form of calories in and then get sleep as well as be there for my wife and my children, you know, because they understood and at the same time really didn't understand, you know, Cass, bless her. Like she went from uh, hauling the kids across the country in a caravan with a car where I was there every day supporting to waking up every day by herself with the kids, hooking the caravan up to the car, moving the caravan and the car to the next location, pulling it off, setting it up, having everything ready. 
So for me, it was quite challenging to be like, you know, 13 hours of walking back, maybe an hour of connection, being present with my family, um, eating, bed, wake up, do that again. And that started to really drain. We did that for two weeks where I was just like walking. I couldn't, I couldn't move. And then I never thought, oh, I don't know if I can do this because I wasn't giving myself the option to have a plan B. It was always plan A, but it was getting challenging to the point where, you know, I just, I ran out of tears because I was just in so much pain. I ran out of tears. I'd, I'd be crying for like an hour walking or, you know, I'd be walking along thinking, oh, the sun's, I'd be trying to find, you know, something positive to think about or go through a gratitude practice. Oh, the sun's out. Oh, oh this is, this is beautiful. I'm out here and I'm walking where I could have been in a wheelchair and that really helped. And then a truck had come past and I'd nearly get fucking squashed or run over. And then I'm back in that loop again. And it just, it was repetitive. And then I remember one day I hallucinated really, really bad, really, really bad. Mm -hmm. I, in my prep to the run, I'd connected with, he's now a good buddy of mine, but also an ultra runner and a, a, an experienced veteran ultra runner. And I'm, I'm walking along. And I, at this point I'd started to walk jog. I was breaking up the kilometers, half kilometer walk, half kilometer shuffle jogs, maybe a little bit of an over-exaggeration, but shuffle. And I remember running with my buddy and I'm like talking to him and we're connecting and, and all the things. And then we stop, I pull over. Um, I'm like, Hey bro, I gotta go for a piss. He's like, cool, man. I'll, I'll just keep moving at a slower pace. You catch up. I'm like, cool, go for a piss, come back. And then I'm like, where the fuck is he gone? Where is he gone? And I started to get really upset and stressed and all the things. And so I get on the phone. I'm like, Hey, where are you gone? And he's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, I just went for a piss. You said you'd like you'd run slow. You know, I can't run fast. I'm getting angry at this point and frustrated. He's like, Oh bro, are you okay? Cause he knew I was running. He's like, I know yeah. what's going on. I'm like, man, just, can you just come back please? And I was sitting on the side of the road and he's like, nah, man, I'm not there. I've not been there. You're, you're, you're hallucinating. And I'm like, Oh shit. I get up the road to my support vehicle and river. My buddy's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not okay. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm tired. I'm fucking sore. He's like, sit down, whips me up a Nutella sandwich, gives me a Nutella sandwich. I sit there and I'm like, you asked for this, Will. You asked yeah. for this. And I'm eating my Nutella sandwich. And I'm in that moment, I was like, this is it. This is the experiment that I wanted. These are all the things that I wanted and called in and manifested. It's time to get the work, bro. It's time to get to work from that day on, no matter what injury I had or had in that moment or received after it was run, run, focus, move, run, focus, move. And I never experienced um, until the final day, the 24 hour, I never experienced anything as challenging as that, as the beginning of that run and those injuries. The hallucinating is a wild one because um, to get to that point, if, if you're not taking anything to get to that point, to get to there naturally <laughs> while you're running. <laughs> yeah, it's a level of actualization that I don't know if I want to go back to. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's a lot, dude. That's a lot. I, I wanted to ask because 
obviously you being somebody who's a big um, advocate for plant-based medicine and the healing Mm -hmm. and integration that comes with that. Did you utilize any sort of plant-based medicine while you were actually doing this run? Like, were you using psilocybin microdosing? Were you using anything for healing? Because you said that you kept moving, which means you were walking. So how are you rehabbing? What are you using? What are the tools? So the, I chose not to use anything for the run. I wanted to remove that variable because I knew there was way too many other variables to compete with. And I was like, if I'm going to do this, it's going to be ultimate tapped into me, healing me without anything external. So the evidence I gathered at the conclusion of the experiment was it was without the use of all those things, knowing that if we do choose to utilize those things as tools, we know that the, the, um, you know, the potential for a greater outcome is there, you know, um, leading into the run, I would sit with, I, I would microdose, um, at the start of the day. And I would sit with cannabis two, three times a week, you know, in meditation, um, you know, sat with ayahuasca at the start of it and watch about halfway through my three year prep. And then from the run onwards chose nothing, which was funny because halfway across Australia in the middle of nowhere, this woman connects with Cass and they're talking about me because people, we had stickers all over the place and people are like, what's going on? Like random people be like, Hey, come and talk. They donate money or they just come give me a hug or get photos. And one day Cass is talking to this woman. She's telling her um, about my experience as a facilitator with plant-based medicines and psychedelics. And she's like, I'll be back. And she, she's in the middle of Australia. She comes back and she gives us this huge jar of cannabis. And she's like, here, give this to Will. Uh-huh. It's like, like how amazing are people, right? But so it was there and it was kind of like universe being like, it's here, buddy. You can use this if you want. And I'm like, nothing, you know, nothing at all. Um, so the techniques I would use, and this is, this is what's interesting, you know, like, um, breath work as a practice is phenomenal for many things. And, uh, I do believe in, in my journeys through this, uh, this practice environment community, it has gotten to a point where it's been, I, I feel like the essence has been removed of what it is. And now it's like this, this thing where it's, it's a tool to regulate your nervous system or regulate stress or center or ground or align or get into flow. It's a tool. And, you know, when you understand um, biology, when you understand psychology, when you understand um, biomechanics, and if you throw in there, you know, psychedelics or psychotherapy, just understanding those components really allows you to listen to your body and communicate with your body when it's trying to speak to you. So during the run, when I was injured and the long days as well, prior to the run, I'd have an hour down regulation, which is quite odd because I'm about to go do this thing. You'd think you'd be up regulating, getting pumped up. For me, it was about staying below the threshold as long as I possibly could. Cause as soon as I start running heart rate goes up, breath goes up, like everything goes up, VO2 max, sleep comes down. So it was like, stay down regulated as long as possible. So an hour of um, down regulatory breath work, which looked like circular box or triangle breathing. And I would utilize with music. So I'd choose different resonance of different songs, modern songs that would influence or stimulate different hemispheres of the brain, which would elicit different emotions. And then I would work with those emotions in that moment. 
I would also visualize. So like I was saying, I'd get on the Google maps, see where I was running, look at the um, topo map and be like, okay, this is the terrain. So I'd really put myself in the run before I was even running for that day. During the run, always nasal breathing. You know, there's some days where I'd like put the foot down and I'd give, I'd give it some and obviously I'd breathe through the mouth. But for the most part, it was always breathe through the, the nose, keep the mouth closed. Um, I, yeah, keep the mouth closed. And then post-run, same again, an hour of uh, breath work, down regulation, and also sound healing. So my buddy uh, brought all of his instruments and we'd stop and he'd blow the didgeridoo over me for half an hour or he'd use the gong or bowls. And if it wasn't him and he was prepping, I'd utilize sound bath or sound therapy in my ears as well. And so that as a piece was a daily practice. That was the most consistent daily practice, plus or minus ice baths where we could you know, in cold water sources or a bucket filled with water and ice um, in a different location. But for the most part, it was as keeping my, my nervous system as downregulated as I possibly could. So that inflammation that was setting in was under control and cortisol and adrenaline wasn't tipping the scales by me being out of control. Well, then, then you wouldn't have the adrenal fatigue, which is nice because if you exactly, yeah, and that's, that's a whole other issue you would have mm -hmm. had running if you, if you allowed for that. So I'm, I, I'm, Glad that you expressed these tools because lately, at least I noticed this, like the more and more that breathwork comes into play, the more and more I want to use it for all of the different aspects of my life. And I try to explain it to people how it can be different. It's not just sitting and meditating or just breathing one way. There's so many different ways you can breathe when you're looking for a desired outcome, whether mm -hmm. that's, you know, like things like Wim Hof, or you're kind of getting up and, you know, and then you've got the other really great breath work, which is just so good for anxiety and so many stressful situations that I give so many cops. When I get pulled over, my favorite thing to do when you can tell us that somebody is already pinging a little bit that they've, they've come up <laughs> I've, I've had this happen. And I just go like, bro, you can, you let me know when you're done, like ranting about your, whatever the ego and the stress that's coming out of you. Let me know when you're done. Then we're going to walk through a little bit of box breathing. And I'm going to tell you why you're going to do that before you come to the next <laughs> car that you pull over And every single time they take me up on it. We do it. I don't get a ticket and life goes on. Yep. Breathwork is powerful, man. And Absolutely. it is something that I, I would, I wish we were teaching younger. Mm -hmm. I wish we were really starting to implement somehow into schooling systems or into community centers, like a, a way to teach breath work, obviously at an age appropriate so that they can really wrap their brains around it. Uh, I've seen breath work work with my son. We, we try really hard when he feels anxious or because he's learning what it means to feel anxious when he's doing spelling mm -hmm. and things, right? So we get the phone call, Jack's stomach hurts. Does it though? Or is Jack, I said, what are you doing? He goes, I'm doing a spelling test. I said, is it hard uh, words? And he goes, yeah. And I was like, anxiety belly. This is so what are we going to do? He's good. I tried to breathe. They don't work. I said, slow it down. Like <laughs> breath work is such a tool. And so many people don't realize that, you know, you can go days without water. You can go days without food, but you can't go more than a certain amount of seconds without breath. No, it's a direct line to our, to our nervous system, our brain, our stomach. Like if you want to know where your body is at, take a look at the characteristics of your breath, right? It's the remote control to the whole system. 
And knowing the characteristics definitely helps, which is where the, the education of nervous system regulation comes in. Um, for the most part, breathing in and out of the mouth up into the chest is, is usually a state or a sign of high stress and anxiety. Um, these symptoms aren't, aren't specific to that, but can be. Uh, and then over time, over breathing through the mouth and up into the chest creates a lot of disfiguration of the rest of the body and then a lot of imbalances in the rest of the body. So breathing in and out of the nose, low and slow into the belly is always going to be the best and most potent tool to remove stress and anxiety, or at least bring your system back down to parasympathetic state. So the way I like to think of it is, you know, the desired outcome is how you want to be inside your body. And I always ask myself this question at the start of the day, before I go into plant medicine ceremonies, breath work, whatever it is, ask myself, do I feel safe enough inside my body before I leave it? And that means if my consciousness or my presence of will and my soul is going to interact with the 3D world, do I feel safe enough to adopt any, anything, titles, identities, jobs, tasks, whatever it is, do I feel safe enough to leave my body? In that moment of being, uh, just taking a moment to be present and ask myself that, tune into my breath. Where's my breath? Is it in my chest? Is it in my belly? Okay, I can I can regulate that. Am I breathing in and out of my mouth or out of, out of my nose? And so taking consideration of these things can really put you in the present moment every single time and help you understand, create more momentum in um, an aligned path, much rather than acting out of like a habitual pattern. And so feeling safe in your body is always going to be the place where you're going to be able to make a rational decision, solve problems a lot quicker and more effectively you know, be present in conversations, engaging with people. And what's really cool about breathwork as well is, is this ability to co-regulate with people, you know, and I do this with my children as well is, you know, if Bill, Bill gets really frustrated when his sister is like stirring him up, just, you know, she's two and a half, he's five and she really knows how to push his buttons already. And so she goes and does that and stirs him up and he gets really frustrated. Now he's at the point where you know, he's absolute permission to express himself no matter what. Absolutely. And then the intervention comes where we get to have a discussion about what he's feeling, how he's feeling it and how he reacted. And he's at a point now where he'll scream in her face. What won't hit her, but he'll scream in her face. I'm so frustrated with you. You've crossed my boundaries. And oh. then he'll come out and he'll tell us, and it's like, okay, cool, man. Can see you're really, really upset. Take some breaths. And he closes his eyes and he goes, you can do that three or four times. I'm like, okay, do you feel frustrated? A little bit, but not so much anymore. Okay, cool. Let's talk about how you responded and all the things. And so that's really been a massive improvement for him, understanding how he is engaging in his reality and with other people and co-regulating. And then his sister, she'll if she chucks it, like she goes off, like it's, you just cannot console her because she's just like, I'm going to tear the house down. If I can't be the captain of this ship, I'm going to sink the fucking thing. That's her, <laughs> that's her motto for the house. Right. And, um, but you can do what's called biomimicking where you're either face and you can do this with adults as well. You face them and then you go through an expressed version of the breath work itself in the nose, out the mouth they either see you and start mimicking you or you can hold them. Most parents who know this will, will resonate. You can hold them 
not strangle them, but hold them <laughs> and then start to start to go through that breath. And it may be five minutes, maybe, or maybe 10 minutes, who knows, but eventually their biology is going to start mimicking yours because you're the safe, safe space. That's right? right. And you can do the same thing with adults. Like I've been in copious amounts of cuddle puddles at, at retreats and, you know, um, courses where the essence of connection, there's definitely breath work involved, but mm-hmm. we're in coherence, we're in heart coherence and we're regulating our nervous systems by connecting, touching, feeling the breath. Everybody feels safe in their body. Everybody feels safe in the environment. And that's the, that's the thing. That is the, that's the secret ingredient right there of feeling safe is being able to feel safe, fully expressed of who you are with other people whilst also being able to co-regulate and breath work is a major part of that. The, the biomimicking, I love, I do that with my son. I've been doing that with him since he's been wee because he, he just, you can feel it when he feels out of control himself. He'll look at me and you, he's, I can't, and he'll just go, I can't, I, I can't, I can't, I can't. And I'll be like, okay, okay. And then I just hold him and we often just sit there and I have being the mother who always takes the photos, who's never in the actual photos. I have <laughs> few photos, but the ones I have are very often of that because yeah. that's him. He'll sit there. That's the only time he'll sit with me like that is when he needs to feel that safe. And you can feel the moment when their little bodies realize they can. Mm-hmm. And it is such a special and profound moment. I just, again, wish we could teach this to teachers and mm-hmm. other people because the majority of children, it feels like lately, are so sad at school and so empty because mm-hmm. parents are so stressed about everything else and parents love their kids and we hug our kids don't get me wrong but it feels like more than more often than not children based off of their behaviors you can tell they're missing something yeah you know, they're really really missing that connection and that touch um covid you may people may hate talking about it or listening about it listening to anything about it but the reality is is we really 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 damaged our kids um yep. we just did absolutely and that's just the sad truth and everyone could say well it was for x y and z and i'm always going to push back and go well i don't care about that i care about mm. the damage that you did to the young minds that is going to be so so irreparable <laughs> and ways that it's how how long it's going to take to fix this problem is going to be decades and it and it hurts because it didn't need to be that way but you're seeing the repercussions now with children you're seeing a lot of their inability to self-regulate that inability to communicate successfully with other children um how it works in a cohesive community um all the way down to language development and it's just sad and it's heartbreaking. And I wish we could teach more things or allow more things like biomimicking because we allow our teachers to tell our kids what genders they are. So why can't we allow them to actually hold them and help them self-regulate so that they can be present enough to be the type of kids that they they should be, which is mm. kids that are loved and want to learn and want to feel safe, but don't. Absolutely. I feel this like... 
um, in the last, since, since leaving the run, you know, I've been implementing a lot of the, the evidence that I've, I've found in my own exploration of consciousness, healing and being a parent and a husband and every client I've worked with thus far, whether it be in the psychedelic space with plant medicines or whether it be through nervous system regulation or simply just like a lifestyle renovation, each adult has arrived as, as a child, right? Like each adult has arrived with a story of where um, their inner child needs to feel that safety and stability again. And some of them have been parents and it needs to be a felt experience for the adult before it can be passed on or emulated to the child because the, the children will, will seek that and, and, and sense that in the household. If the adult or the parent doesn't feel safe or stable enough in themselves, the children will sense that and feel that in their parents, which means there's a dissonance between the child feeling safe with the parent because the parent doesn't feel safe as the parent. And so more often than not in any scenario that I create or simulate, whether it's in ceremony, whether it's one-to-one work or group work, it's about creating that experience for people to feel it in the body. Cause you can talk about it and we could talk to teachers about it for sure. We could talk to other parents about it and it's a massive improvement because society really doesn't put a lot of emphasis on trying to do these types of things, but it's a felt experience. And, you know, I, I don't know how many times we've, we've concluded a ceremony or a session where an adult has been in tears and we've been embracing and I've been going through that co-regulation technique. And the first thing that they stumble upon is a child every single time. Like they say, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm feeling this way because I just think of my child and, and, and X, Y, Z. And so I really make an effort to teach, you know, and educate uh, my clients in a felt experience. You know, we just had our 24 hour immersion course on the weekend where we had 30 guys from Australia rock up to this beach that we live at and we took them through a 24 hour immersive experience of what would, you know, quote unquote, be a selection course type environment. Now I ran a scenario um, straight up. We did the kit check, which is always fun to do on a kit checks for selection. Um, We did the fitness assessment and then we went straight to location two, which was this um, water immersion. So it was working in a large body of water under stress, learning different breathwork techniques to regulate stress. But every time I had them come back to the beach and sit on the beach, wet, sandy as fuck, I had them nut to butt and they were holding each other, co-regulating, right? Grown ass men who would arrive to be this, I'm going to do this 24 hour experience thinking like, you know, I'm in this immersive experience, which was fantastic. But I had them in that position and here they are. And you just watch them as soon as they get into the sand after they'd like nearly drown themselves in the water. They're just like, you know, and they're holding another man. They don't even know not to mm-hmm. butt their chest to their back, breathing into each other. I had their attention because they felt safe in their body. Mm-hmm. They were downregulated because they were utilizing each other's nervous system and energy to co-regulate. And they were interpreting and comprehending the things that I was telling them. And at the end of the 24 hours, we finished it. It was like, I think it was like zero five, 0500, we, we went to the beach, sun was coming up, this was planned. And I took them through this, like uh, this breathwork visualization piece, which was essentially like this celebratory moment. Hey, this is a moment for you to have gratitude and pride for yourself, we'll get through this practice. 
And after we're, we're hugging, celebrating, everyone comes around and every single one of them said to me, can I talk to you more about that co-regulation thing? And I'm like, absolutely you can. They're like, I want to try that with my children. I was like, I didn't even say it, you know, when I was teaching it, but they were already thinking it. And as adults, if we can create safety and stability in our own bodies, do I feel safe before I leave my body and adopt anything? We can create safety and stability in our social circles. And if we can create safety and stability in our social circles, it, ex it expands to our larger communities and kids are involved with that. Meaning mm -hmm. that our kids, no matter where they go for education, are going to arrive um, feeling safe in their bodies, but autonomous and sovereign as a human being, much rather than being like, this is what you should be, you know? Mm -hmm. It's a, oh, it's a powerful thing. And it makes me optimistic because people experiencing it themselves, like you said, it's a felt experience. You almost need to feel it. You almost need to have that moment to go, oh yeah, I believe in that. I could see how that works. Because most of the mm -hmm. time you talk about a lot of these things and people who are of the older school mentality, like they definitely struggle with, hey, if you breathe differently, you're going to feel better. What, what are you talking about? I literally had this experience. <laughs> Dude, I had this experience last night with my father-in-law. I said, you breathe from a very anxious place. And he's like, no, I don't. And I said, you do, you breathe from the chest. And it's like, <laughs> and that's, and that's why you're like, you're, you're so anxious. I said, if you just took some deep, slow, I don't want to, I don't, it's never, <laughs> unless it's a felt experience, you can't convince people that, that it works. It's just, it's one of those, it's one of those things. And it's, it's so good to see that you're doing it in a way that it gives people that opportunity to put themselves out in an uncomfortable situation, really kind of dive into it because otherwise you'll freeze and, mm -hmm. and get comfortable and, and but get that moment that they would otherwise not have had, which was this connection to others in a way that is such a deep felt experience. They want to continue it and, and teach it to their family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it needs yeah. to be felt in the body first, you know, feeling it in the body, it, it'll allow not just consciousness to interpret the thing that is happening, but biology as well, you know, because mm -hmm. our tissue receives uh, input and output and it it remembers things, which is why we keep trauma inside of the body because the tissue remembers, but you know, um, Bessel van der Kolk talks about the body keeping the score and it absolutely does. So having a felt experience is something that you can't unlearn. And more often than not, um, you know, people who have a felt experience leave whatever that was with the lesson and, uh, and, and walk away being like, okay, this is who I am now. This is the thing I'm going to do because I felt it. I believe in it. It's real until they return to an environment that signals them to return back to the old ways. And then it's like, you need to return back to that space to feel it again, you know, um, it was a very unique process that I've been going through, you know, uh, MDMA and ketamine have been, you know, slowly coming to the surface for therapeutic use for treating PTSD and depression and, and TBIs and really great work coming through in the clinical space. And something I've really been fond of uh, in community is the use of MDMA as a cohesive resonance. So bringing people into a space, whether it be around a fire, whether it be out in nature, whether it be sitting around communicating, there is a felt experience with the use of this compound that allows people to be on the same resonance and also be in heart coherence. And I don't know how many people have walked away 
from some of these experiences before going, I had no fucking idea. Like, I just felt like I loved everybody. I loved myself. I loved you. I loved this person. And blah, blah, blah. it's like, have I just been walking around like not loving or, and I'm just like, only you know the answer to that question. You know? <laughs> it's a felt experience, you know? And, and this is the great thing about, you know, medicines in general, they're there to use. And this is why I didn't use them during the run is because they're there to use, but also when you get to the essence of who you are, speak to your soul and you can identify the things that have been holding you back or you've been holding on to and be like, okay, I love me. I love you. We're moving. Like without these things, the, the potency of these other things is, is, is way more, you know? Yeah, of course you understand it differently. Exactly. It just yeah. connects it. It hits differently. It connects differently when you can do the work and then utilize the medicine after you've already connected so deeply, it makes those experiences so much more explosive on, on every mm -hmm. different level. There's like, there's levels to this shit. Right. And that's when you oh, start yeah. playing. Like it's, it's one thing to sit with ayahuasca. Like when you're first going through your first experience or psilocybin or MDMA, it's your first set of trauma. But then as you progress down that path, and the healing starts and then you go sit with the medicine like five years into that you're like oh okay <laughs> <laughs> what's up what are we looking at this is a different game it's just like they're like no there's levels we we upped your level so that you could experience the rest of it we thought you were ready wasn't ready wasn't ready you're here though. wasn't ready okay. for that okay. <laughs> okay. ready for this okay cool. that happened it's to me last week i am um, really yeah, I, I, I'd been through this, I've been through this huge like period over the last two and a half, three months. And um, I said to my wife, I'm going to drop in this weekend for a really big dose. And and my body um, really responds well to larger doses. It's like, if I have a smaller dose, I'm in, I'm out, I'm in integrating a more, like I'm a fast implementer, but I was like, I'm going to drop into a really big dose. And, you know, I've been working with a lot of these medicines for over seven years now. And each experience has always been different. And I always return as the student ready to learn. And at some point, I imagine this true for everybody, you leave a ceremony and you're like, okay, I think I've got life sorted out now. I think I, I think I know yeah. the secrets to everything, right? Like until you don't, and then you go back and you sit again, you're like, oh, of course, of course I don't know everything. But um, this last time I, I went in and... Um, I was in like a seven to eight gram dose of psilocybin, these really strong uh, pancyans. And I had the eye mask on, headphones on, East Forest in my ears. And an hour in, I'm like, I need to turn all of this off. I need to just stop. I need to turn all of this off. It's too much, too much. And then I'm like, I'd convinced myself that I could go to the toilet without taking the mask off. I was like in this state and then I dropped back into my body and I was just like, okay, breathe, breathe. And I was like, I thought I, I thought I'd work through all of this shit. And like he just said, it's just like, nope, it's just the next level. There's another level to go to. It's just like, oh, okay. And I got to this point where I'm like, all right, what's my intention? I knew be going into it, what it was going to be. I was like, what's my retention return back to that space. And I'm like, is there anything I need to go back and look at traumatic? And then out of nowhere, my, body and my soul just goes no here you go here's here's the book here's will's book are you happy with the book and proofread it nope cool all right let's put it on the shelf books on the shelf go journey 
you know it was just like this moment of absolute peace and being like done so much work in these things and i'm always trying to return to this space and it's like you don't need to keep returning well you can right. you can move forward in another space and so it was super intense i was like oh i've got so much more to learn and i always know that and i'm always grateful that i tell myself and remind myself that but at the same time i was just like okay there's a there's a new level there's a new level to this shit yeah and you got to dive into that you just got to it's yeah. um it's just it for for me at least and for you what it seems like is it's part of your path it's part of who you are and what you're what you're trying to achieve in this world and how you're trying to help and it's a it's a huge it's a huge tool and if you can find the ways to use it and then integrate it properly integration is a topic i've been talking about lately because i see you know as more and more people get access to uh these entheogens you're seeing people go into them some quite blind and not really understanding the integration portion of it and that's where you know realities get get shook and people blow their families up and things like that happen mm -hmm. and it's like we don't need that to happen there's a safe way to to work on this when you're looking at integration if you were to look overview your integration tools that you have what do you find to be the most most important to focus on after a plant-based journey i always talk about um picking your fantasy team right like Ooh. yeah picking your fantasy team like who are your key players when you return to the space your space your environment your life those things and the way i like to look at it is um if, you, if we take ourselves back to quote-unquote caveman times for ease of understanding and someone leaves the tribe they leave the tribe they go out they get they go for a search they do all the things and they gain a level of intelligence they come back to the tribe this person is different upgraded advanced whatever it may be the tribe has not changed yet they haven't been to see the intelligence that this, this person has gathered it's very easy to return to the tribe and have the tribe's prerogatives influence the person who's been out and done the things it's very easy to fall back into that and quickly forget the things that you learn and so effective communication connection uh intention and uh cohesion so coherence are the main pieces that i'm looking for in my fantasy team and it's having that support network i'm going to do this thing my intention is this, when I return, I need your support with accountability, discipline. There is a good chance I'm going to show up a little differently, talk a little differently, have a different energy. Um, I may have a specific amount of emotions that are going to be present. I need to know that you're here. Got my six is that. And, then, and these are the types of conversations that I'll have. And that fantasy team, it's up to you, the size of that. If, if you're really wanting to make a change, like if you're really wanting to show up differently and be in a different space in your life. It's up to you to set those markers in place before you leave to go do the thing. And that could mean somebody in your professional career. That could mean someone at home in a relationship. It could mean a buddy. It could be a certain amount of people in your reality that you get to have these conversations with so that when you return, they know more or less who they're getting back mm -hmm. and, and picking your fantasy team is, 
is the ability to, to stay disciplined and accountable to the thing you said you want to do because the works, the works hard. Like, and I, I dropped a video yesterday on socials. Like, yes, you can go and sit in ceremony and, and the medicine will do a certain amount of work whilst you're engaging with it. That is true. Your experience is always individual and you get what you need, not always what you want. But in in the integration piece coming out, you have to do the work. Mm-hmm. You have to do the work. Like you have to, you can journal it, you can voice memo it. And if you just put it to the side and just be like, oh yeah, I did a psilocybin trip, you know, a month ago. It was great. It's fantastic. And now I'm just back in life doing my normal thing. Like you've kind of missed the point, you know? So if you can set these things in place before going, when you come back out, those people that you've chosen, your fantasy team, they're going to hold you accountable. And when you get back to the tribe, this is the second piece, when you get back to the tribe, creating space to come back down and land in your body. So whether it's a week, two weeks where you just go into yin practices, right? So you just like not pushing your body physically beyond its needs, um, not eating beyond your needs, drinking lots of clean, uh, pure water, spring water, if possible, reducing the amount of technology that you engage or interact with, really trying to stay as internal as possible through that process so that you can land back in your space first. If you come back and adopt all the identities and titles before you left, before you give yourself time to land, there's a good chance that all the work that you've just done can come undone because you're so um, you're so driven to uphold the responsibilities of all these titles and identities. And that can impede on your healing, on your healing journey. So giving yourself space to land week, two weeks, everybody's different. Some people don't need that long. Giving yourself space to land and being able to communicate with your fantasy team this as well. You know, if you're coming back and you're like, hey, I'm going to create a week, two weeks, I'm going to be offline. You know, I've, I've done this thing. I'm coming back. I'm going to be offline. Can you please support me? Yes, no, maybe whatever that conversation looks like. I, in my experience, I spend, you know, a good three to four days uh, writing or voice memoing or um, I utilize breath work and music. i got a very unique way of facilitating breath work where I utilize um, specific resonance of songs, like I said, with the run to uh, bring up specific emotions or, or change hemispheres of the brain work with different aspects whilst breathing so the protocols go together with the music itself and they're in sync they synchronize and so you end up breathing to the music much rather than with the music Um, and that gives me the opportunity to be uh, in a clear grounded space of alignment so that I'm not returning you know to the very intense space that I was in with the medicine or back in my environment prior to going in with the medicine as well. It keeps me grounded and level and aligned with that. Um, But making it a practice, you know, the last piece that I work with and always, always, always um, support my clients with is I call it the lifestyle renovation, right? Because it's easy to go and do these things and have really good benefits, short-term benefits. But if you come back, and your diet's still poor, your movement's still poor, your social settings are still poor, all of the things, it's, it's there's no point. Well, it's not that there's no point. It's just the risk of you falling back in is going to be larger than it wasn't if you set that. So really identifying a strategic way of moving forward. Okay, we're going to change this. 
about the way we consume nutrition or the way we engage with our food. We're going to create this for the way you move your body or engage with movement. You know, um, we're going to create this as a way for you to get out and play with your friends because yeah, we're adults, but we like to play with our friends. Like that's, that's a big thing. We like to play with our friends. So just really ensuring that, um, that lifestyle renovation is strategically set out. It's, it's sexy. It's sustainable. It's safe. It's, it doesn't feel like more work than it needs to be because mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of people that I've been working with have had trouble letting go of, I need to be here or I need to do this or I need to do this. And, uh, you know, Paul check says, you know, if, if you don't make time for your health now, you're going to need to make time for it later, you know, and if you can make time for your health now and invest in your health now, everything else just falls into alignment. It's like the river of abundance. You pull more logs out of the river of abundance. It can flow mm-hmm. freely. You put more logs in, you're going to jam up and have this beaver dam built and the water's not going to go anywhere, you know? Yeah. A hundred percent. You have to, you have to do the work and everything mm-hmm. that you said to me, having done that, it doesn't, it doesn't sound overwhelming. It sounds like common sense, a lot of it, (laughs) but, but then again, I have to realize that not everybody was given tools I have had provided for me. So I have an empathy for individuals when you start speaking about these things, because this is, uh, this is a lot, it's a, it's a big change. It's a lifestyle shift. It really truly is Mm. in every single sense, what you watch, what you eat, what you do, who, you know, where you go, like your environment, everything, has to shift in a way if you want to keep sustained healing and sustained growth. I mean, that's just the reality. It takes significant, significant amounts of work. It does not happen Mm -hmm. overnight and it is not a magic pill. And we need to, we need to make sure that others realize that like this, you can go and you can use it for, for fun or whatever, but you have to be careful what you're playing with. These medicines have, have strength and power behind them. And if used properly, you can, you can do incredible, incredible things, or you can you can burn the whole house down. I mean, that's, that's a reality too. Um, but I had, insane- a client, I had a client last month, sorry to cut you off. No, you're um, good. Last month I had a client and we were, we were working through some suppressed emotions such as anger, shame, violence, a man. And my first, my first um, connection on this topic with him was these are very safe emotions for you to have. Okay. They have very safe emotions for you to have. They're very justified and valid the way that you've experienced it, the way that you are experiencing it, very safe and validated in your body. You need to know that first and foremost. He didn't understand that at first, but when we went through practices of how he can really demonstrate these emotions in a safe container, much rather than acting out in an unsafe container, he finally understood why these were were, um, valid and justified in his reality. We went through ceremony three days of and um, he had a phenomenal experience and he was very, very committed and disciplined to integration. We'd set forth a plan and we were working very, very closely and he was very connected to it and he was um, very present. And about two, three weeks later, and this was on me because I didn't do the check, but two weeks later or three weeks later, he says, well, I'm still feeling fucking angry, man. I don't know what it is. Like I'm doing all the things getting up with the sun, sun on the eyeballs, face, skin, grounding, water, meditation, breath, reading, and then engaging in his day. He's doing all the things. And 
I say, can you send me a, a, a screen recording of your Instagram uh... feed and your Spotify? <clears throat> he's like super weirded out. He's like, yeah, of course. So because he didn't know what I was getting at, I got right. a real version of what the actual recording was. Of course, he's like social feed was just polluted with all of this violence and anger and things that were triggering it. His Spotify and look, I'm not against, I'm not against metal. I fucking love metal. But right. <laughs> when you're in a state or your nervous system is in a state and the songs and sounds that you're introducing to your system are... Yeah. Like, yeah. And I said, okay, cool. I think, I think I know what's going on here. And so we detoxed his social media platform. We found and substituted much rather than just removed. We found and substituted um, some different soundscapes for him to listen to that he was interested in bands that he was interested in that were a bit lower, lower in intensity, lower in energy, mm-hmm. melodic, uh, sneakily, I chose songs that would um, bring forth specific emotions for him to work with. Two, three weeks later, he's like, I see what you did there. Yeah, <laughs> I, was like, yeah. I, I didn't do anything, bro. That was all you. You know, we just needed to identify. So it's like there are some intricacies in renovating a lifestyle. And it's it's just a matter of identifying what the emotion is, what's being suppressed, what's coming up, and when it's coming up so that we can look at the detail of why. And then it won't be, it's not always directly related to a person or a memory or a trauma. It's not always directly related. It just could be a simple thing such as sound or what we're looking at, or, you know, mm-hmm. it could be as simple as that. Yeah. And it absolutely can be. That's the wild thing about social media. Going back to the beginning of this conversation, social media can be used for good or it can really, really, really tear your life apart. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of in saying that you're doing something that's going to kind of be all over social media coming up in August. I want to touch base on before we jump and you've got a documentary that you're putting into a film festival. You've got some really cool projects. I want to know more about. Yeah. So we've, um, we've started to correlate all the, the footage, not started. We've been collating the footage for a long time now for the, for the run, um, both pre-run during the run and post-run. And uh, we're in the final stages of accessing music licensing from specific artists. Uh, And then we'll be submitting the film. It's called Unbreakable Will. And we're submitting it to the Banff uh, Mountain Film Festival, I think it is. And then one here in Australia as well. Post festivals, we are doing a film tour um, and then going around showing it. uh, Unsure whether it's an international trip yet, but uh, definitely in country here in Australia, but doing a film festival with that, where I'll be uh, tacking on to the end of the film, um, doing live speaking events, which will be leading into next year, the release of my book and the work that I've been doing. Um, The the film, the book, are part of a three-part series. Um, When I left the military, I was one, driven to heal myself you know, emotionally and physically, I was driven to heal myself. In the process of doing that, I discovered my purpose in this life. Definitely helped going to the ranch in Texas uh, and sitting with the Heartline Protocol because I got more clarity on what my soul's path was as well. Um, But I'm driven to create a community and build a village that lives outside of society. Um, And with that, I want to document the stage-by-stage effects. So the first stage is this run. It was discovery, uh, anecdotal evidence of my theories with the, with the experiment. 
moving forward, working one-to-one with um, high-performing, you know, CEOs, entrepreneurs, uh, businessmen and women um, as a performance and optimizing consultant. And then next year, part two will be, uh, we're going to fly to the five blue zones around the world and immerse ourselves in the village and document all of the characteristics as to why these blue zones are what they are. And then the third series, uh, third part of the series will be the evolution of the village that we build. So working towards as our North star, the village, we're going to document the whole way through film tour, um, the book and uh, working one-to-one and in group sessions. So I've got a few retreats at the end of the year as well. Um, where we're going to bring all of that work into the space focused on mental health. You know, like there are a lot of retreats out there. There's a lot of plant medicine retreats overseas here in Australia, breathwork retreats, yoga retreats, all the things. They're phenomenal. For me, I feel very connected to the mental health space and helping uh, or providing the opportunity for men and women to arrive, be heard, seen, and felt. The way we do that is through all of the modalities, but allowing a space for people to just arrive, be heard, seen, and felt. And so that's that's what our retreats are going to be covering off uh, September and October this year. Man, you're on one, huh? <laughs> that's exciting. That's exciting, dude. I'm glad that you're using your platform for good. It It's beautiful to have something to start off doing something and find your purpose in that it is, it is such a great feeling when you, when you know where you want to go in this world and direction is really mm. difficult for people to find, um, especially in the clouds of noise that we have around us all of the times trying to distract us from left, right, and center up and down, you know, to be able to find your purpose in those, in those moments and, and hone it and then move forward on it is, is a really special thing. So I applaud you for doing that and helping so many people while you choose to, to do this and take on this more of a selfless lifestyle really is what it is. And then put it out there for so many people to learn from so that they can have the tools at their disposal to actually implement these things rather than just say like, Hey, I'm doing this. That's great. But like, how are you doing it? And what are you doing yeah. to do it? And who do you go to, to do it so that people can resonate and then improve their lives. So I think it's fantastic. And like I said to you before on the first episode, I love having you on. You're always welcome. I love hearing about your journeys and what's going on with you, but what you're doing in the world. So don't hesitate to uh, to come back on whenever you're ready and let us know what else you've got rocking and rolling. And we'll follow you as you grow this really, really special community that you've got here. Even though it's in Australia, it doesn't, doesn't feel that far away. So as I said before, you've always got a spot in Canada and uh, make sure that if you come over to this uh, interesting place, <laughs> feel free to let us know whenever you do that. Um, but where can everyone follow you, find you and make sure that they can connect with you? Uh, I was wondering what you were going to say there. <laughs> I guy guy being a good human being today. You are. You are. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that reflection though. It was um it is greatly received. Um so Instagram it's at the mind.mechanic uh where I post a lot of, you know, value each day um just based around the work that I'm doing. Uh and you can also go to my website uh themindmechanic.org and we have uh yeah, on there, how you can work with me, what we're doing, what our projects, where we're up to with our projects, the film itself, um, the trailer should be up tomorrow uh, with the, the film coming out in August where people can access that and um, learn more about the community that we're building here. The uh, 
you know, when I, when I went to Amsterdam, just briefly, when I went to Amsterdam uh, and connected to the tribe the first time, which is when I first met Nima, and then I went to Texas and spent time with Andrew, Adam and, and Nima and Matthew, it was clear to me that, you know, one, I'm not the only human uh, showing up trying to be of service. We, we are all very much, you know, our tribe across the globe here, our circle that we're thriving in. Everybody's on the same path, doing the same thing more or less being of service to the planet. But as the planet turns on its axis, there's still, you know, there's still, there's many countries, many cities where people live, don't have access to this type of stuff. And so knowing that our community is so connected, I felt really, cause I was supposed to be coming back to Texas this year. Yeah, I, I know. We were back to the ranch, but, um, you know, at the same time, as much as I'll, I'll, you know, next year intend to be back at the ranch for a fair bit is creating a satellite here in Australia. You know, the, the boys got the, the, the ranch in Texas, you know, they're set up, um, Casper setting up a, a community in Europe as well. We've got a brother in Asia who's doing a very similar thing. So for me, it feels very important to set up this satellite. So no matter what, wherever you are in the world, you always have a home or a community to come and be you know, seen, felt and heard. So, you know, landing here in Australia, um, as much as it's fucking difficult, because we're, I think Canada and Australia are pretty similar when it comes to taxes and, and all the things we tax. I'm less, worried, I'm, I'm less worried about the taxes and the, the, uh, the animals killing of <laughs> their people, but that's fine. <laughs> but, you know, like if, if, if I leave this country, this is a country, this is my home. You know, yeah. it's the yeah. it's the country I'm proud of, and I want to be the change in this country. I got to put the work in, and so you know, setting up the village here is, is is super important to me. So yeah, you can find all of that information on the website or my social media. Amazing. Well, we'll make sure we put everything in the show notes and uh, let us know. Yeah, send me the send me the clip tomorrow. We'll push it out as well. And uh, once this episode comes out, we will let everyone know all about the documentary and everything they can do to come support you and the mission and what you guys are trying to achieve. And thank you so much again, dude, for the work that you do. Everyone else, you stick with me. We'll see you all next week. Hey, humans. I know you've all been seeing me drink HVMN's Ketone IQ lately. This is a game changer. Jet fuel in a bottle. I use Ketone IQ for everything in my life whether it's running, cycling, podcasting, or just the extra boost that my brain needs. I won't lie, it helps push me to the next level in all things. I love Ketone IQ and what HVMN stands for. Go grab some shots today at hvmn.com and use the code BRASS20 and save.